Yeah, yeah. So like what a lot of us don't realize is we have actually been trained, catechized into a way of thinking about encountering mm. the Bible yeah. that is almost entirely devotional, that is focused on um, my individual relationship with God. So therefore it happens without the reference point of the church mm -hmm. or dialogue with other believers. Yep. And then not only that, but if it fails to yield an immediate sense of satisfaction, then I either didn't do it right or, you know, the Bible is boring. Well, welcome to a Digging Deeper podcast, a, a podcast of Perimeter Church, where we dive deeper into important topics and issues, uh, sometimes culturally, sometimes just in the historic Christian faith. And uh, we are pleased and overjoyed to have with us today, Jen Wilkin, who is a, an author and teacher from Dallas, Texas, and um, just a a person that I have certainly admired from afar for a long time in terms of her impact on the kingdom of God and the numbers of people that she's impacted with her her writings. I was looking uh, previous to starting here, uh, 13 books that I counted. There may be more, Jen, that I'm not aware of, books and studies that you've written. Um, many of our women here at the church have, have been through those and been impacted, including my wife, Rachel. And so let me just start by saying, Jen, thank you so much for the uh, for the time that you take to be used by the Lord to impact so many. And thanks for joining us today on this podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, of course, of course. So I'm going to jump right in and uh, just broach the topic of that I, that I think is, from my understanding of just even reading what you've written over the years, uh, what's most near and dear to your heart, and that is the Word of God, the Bible, mm -hmm. and uh, everything from its authority in our lives it's a uh, purpose in our lives and uh, even biblical literacy and so much of what you have written about uh, God and his character is uh, all of it, not so much of it, all of it is anchored in the word of God. And then you've done so many just great studies in books of the Bible and the ways in which we can just walk through the Bible and learn so much. So here's my first question to you. Uh, when and how did you become so passionate about God's word? and yeah, tell us about how that came about in your life. Well, I think it was gradual. I grew up in the church and I did have um, exposure to like Bible study settings, um, but I ended up going to college and getting an English degree. And it was in college that I first began to think, wait a minute, why is it that we treat the Bible like, like it's sort of less than just an actual book? Um, by the time I got into early adulthood, I had been... Uh, I had logged a lot of hours in a lot of different denominations. My parents got divorced um, when I was eight. And so my mom sort of bounced around from church to church. And so about seven different denominations, I guess, by the time I headed off to college. And I knew that there was always someone standing behind a pulpit holding the same book, but they weren't all saying the same thing. Mm. And, um, and it just became increasingly uh, evident to me that most, if not, the majority of us were taking someone else's word for what the Bible had to say without a firsthand knowledge of the text ourselves. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And so how old were you when that started? Kind of I would say, you? yeah, I would say uh, it, when I, um, when I got out of college and then got involved in the local church, I, I began, you know, running into people who had been in the church for years and who were still just really at the beginning of their journey with the Bible. They knew what people had told them that it said, 
Um, but, and then I, I discovered just as time passed that like most of us would fail just a basic, simple pop quiz over factual information of yeah. the Bible. Yeah. Um, you know, most of us couldn't name all 10 of the 10 commandments. We couldn't tell you who the 12 disciples or apostles were. Um, and you know, some of us memorized the books of the Bible in order, according to a song, but we wouldn't necessarily be able to tell you um, a general sense of what was in those books. And, you know, this is this is a book we're staking our lives on. Yeah. Uh, so it feels like we should probably um, and, and then and then layered on top of that, um, as I got into early adulthood was that I I was running into false teaching in mm. the church in a way that was very personal for my family. Um, my mom got super involved in the uh, word faith mm. um, movement. Yeah. And she had a chronic health concern. And mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it became apparent to me that false teaching wasn't just a bad idea. It could actually be dangerous yeah. uh, in, in physical as well as spiritual terms. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, then you start to ask questions about, well, why, why is this a sticky idea? Why is this wrong teaching such a sticky idea? And you begin to realize that a lot of the reason that a false teaching has the ability to stick is because the truth has not been... Um, mm -hmm. fully cemented in someone's thinking. That's really good. I like that picture you just painted there too. And for anybody who's listening that maybe says, well, word of faith movement, you know, just a quick caveat here. I mean, it's just basically the, uh, what we would consider to be the false teaching of, uh, you know, that if you have enough faith, you can be healed from mm -hmm. any illness. If you have enough mm -hmm. faith, you, you can get, uh, you know, whatever you long for. Uh, and it's all based on our faith, not on God's faithfulness to us and certainly his sovereignty and how he purposes things in our lives, even the hard mm. things. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so you're probably in your twenties when you're starting to realize some of these things, right? And mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious, it, it, was there anyone who came alongside of you who started kind of teaching you the word or was it more you're getting in the word yourself and reading and kind of just the spirits teaching you as you go, or was it a combo of both or how did that, how did that go down for you? Well, my husband has always been a good dialogue partner on all things um, spiritual and um, theological. And so he started to develop an interest in theology and was listening and learning, listening to a radio program and learning. And so we were dialoguing. And then I started to get involved after the birth of my first child in, in women's ministry spaces. Mm. And um, those dialogues were, for all intents and purposes, not taking place in what I affectionately refer to as the pink ghetto. Mm. Um, <laughs> women's, women's circles were having almost entirely feelings level conversations that were heavily application-based, but the work of comprehending and interpreting had been handed to us by someone else. Someone mm. else had basically digested it and then handed it to us and told us to, to, um, to find the action point. Uh, and so um, I couldn't figure out why, why we weren't giving just basic tools to people to be able to read the scriptures. And at that point, my English degree starts to come into play, which I, I never would have thought that that would be the case. <laughs> but, you know, you start to realize, oh, like, people don't understand this genre of writing. So therefore they're not coming up with the right interpretation of the application mm. or people haven't paid any attention to the historical setting for this. And so they're yeah. taking it and just transposing it into their own current circumstance or people aren't recognizing that this is written to the church and not to them individually. You know, I mean, the list just went on and on. Yeah. Um, and, and no, no one or not many people seemed concerned about addressing that, um, particularly in all female circles. Yeah. Um, women, I think at that time, I would say we're not really even, 
um, being viewed in the church as um, as thinkers so much mm. as feelers. And then what was happening in female discipleship circles was not perceived as part of the larger discipleship strategy of the church. It was mm-hmm. just, well, let's let the women go over there and do whatever it is they do. And, you know, then we'll have um, places where the the real work of theological or biblical discovery is happening elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, that's good. You, you, so you're hitting on, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, okay, there's even layers, if you will, of... Mm-hmm of what we might categorize as biblical illiteracy. Mm-hmm. So at the first level, we could say that, you know, there's so many Christians, so many in the church mm-hmm. who just simply aren't reading the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the first level or layer, mm-hmm. layer right? Mm-hmm. So, but then even, even underneath that is, okay, if you're reading the Bible, how many are reading and have not been trained or equipped or just have any, uh, you know, understanding of, like you're talking about historical context, biblical context, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, genre, so forth. Um, would love to hear your thoughts on just the topic of literacy and what are you observing maybe at each of those levels and maybe if there's other layers even under that under that you would want to speak to. But what do you observe in the church in America? Let's just kind of keep it here in, in our country um, with literacy and, and, yeah, just what are the, what are the dangers that we're, that we're facing with that? So it, it would be impossible to talk about the Bible literacy crisis without um, framing it in in the framework of a larger just literacy crisis within mm. our culture. It's not just that people don't know how to read the Bible well. It's that they don't know how to read. Mm. They have not been, in many cases, trained how to read um, and to think critically about what they're reading and to ask good questions. And um, and and then the two um, the two prevailing cultural influences that I am beginning to see as just wreaking havoc in so many circles in the church, but certainly as it relates to Bible reading, um, I'm referring to them as the two eyes that we should gouge out. Hmm. Um, the first eye is instant gratification, and the second one is individualism. Hmm. And so um, many of us in the church have taken what the culture is telling us, which is it's all about you, the individual, and um, you shouldn't have to work for things. They should just fall into your life. You should have whatever you want immediately when you want it. Yeah. Um, think about how those two ideas have had a heavy formative influence on the idea of quiet time. Mm. Right? Yeah. Um, so what most people think of when they think about their, their quiet time is, I have 15 minutes at the beginning of the day. It's all about me and the Lord. Yeah. It's just between the two of us. And then um, by the time I finish that 15 minutes, I should have received a particular feeling or mm. insight that can carry me through the rest of the day. Yeah. And uh, the Bible does not want to be carved up into 365-day increments, uh, nor does it want to be cherry-picked in such a way that we can have these little moments. Mm. Uh, I promise you that if you require um, to feel a particular way at the end of your quiet time, you're not going to do a devotional over Leviticus 19. In fact, <laughs> who has ever even written a quiet time book for uh, the book of Leviticus? You know, yeah. like, can you even imagine the cover art? I don't even know where you would start. So, <laughs> I don't want to imagine that. Yeah, yeah. So like what a lot of us don't realize is we have actually been trained, catechized into a way of thinking about encountering mm. the Bible yeah. that is almost entirely devotional, that is focused on um, my individual relationship with God. So therefore it happens without the reference point of, 
the church mm-hmm. or dialogue with other believers. Yep. And then not only that, but if it fails to yield an immediate sense of satisfaction, then I either didn't do it right or, you know, the Bible is boring. Mm. Yeah. And, and and so even just the way that we think about the scriptures is, is very much a, a debit card approach where I put in my little card to withdraw what I need for the day. Uh, and then I come back the next day and do the same thing. But what the scriptures are asking us to do is to regard them as a savings account where we are faithful to make small deposits over time, which yield a return. Mm. And that's a long-term view. Yeah. And we just, everything around us is telling us, you don't have to have a long-term view for anything. You don't have to wait for one single thing. Mm. And so um, when we come to the scriptures, we want them to come to us on, on the terms that the culture says we should have them rather than on the terms that they were created to be received. Whew, you're stepping on some toes there, uh, which I th- is good. It's good. Like in the sense of, um, and the reason I say that is because um, I just wonder how many people listening right now, they, they in a good way are convicted and going, man, that's exactly what I do. I go into it very transactionally. I go into it very individualistically, right? And, mm-hmm. and I go into it... Um, yeah, absolutely. Thinking, uh, I, I sure hope I feel better coming out of this, or mm-hmm. I, I have some type of emotional response to it. And mm-hmm. I, I, I've told our church a number of times that, you know, in my experience, um, emotions matter, of course. Mm-hmm. They're the dashboard to our hearts. God made us mm-hmm. that way. We image him in that way. Uh, but if we begin to uh, expect that there's always going to be emotional response when we engage with God, then we're going to be disappointed more often than not. And um and so that's, man, what, what good insight there. With those two, with individualism and with uh, immediate gratification, uh, I, I see that playing out in how we read the word as you're talking about, but I see that, mm-hmm. you know, see both of those play out in the life of the church in America over the last quarter century, if not longer, in, in a myriad mm-hmm. of ways. Uh, so I think you're hitting on something that's even a broader theme in, in American evangelicalism as as uh, as a part of our lives in general. Um, what do we do about it? What what's the answer? How do we how do we combat against that? How do how, you know how do we read the Bible without an without an individualistic hyper individualistic mindset or immediate gratifications mindset? What what are what are tips you have for that or thoughts you have for that? Yeah, we're going to have to shift to a long-term view. And probably the the best analogy that I could give would be, well, first of all, I would just point out that when we think about what it means to be a disciple, like a follower of Christ, um, we, we've we read the passages about, you know, take up your cross and follow me. And we know that it's going to be costly. Like we know it's going to impact the way that we spend our time in costly ways. It's going to impact the way that we think about our money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to way that we impact the way that we think about our relationships. Um, and, and we think, yeah, I want to do that. I, I, I want to I want to have spiritual disciplines. Um, but when it comes to Bible reading, for some reason, we just think it should be easy. Hmm. Um, we, we don't expect that it should require anything of it of us. In fact, many of us have an overly mystical approach to the way that we think about the scriptures. We think that just because we have been obedient to have contact with them, that they're going to yield up fruit to us, no matter what form that contact takes. Um, not only that, but we think, you know, well, the Holy Spirit's just going to drop truth bombs on me. Um, hmm you know, because he wants me to know what's in scriptures. And he does. He does want you to know what's in the scriptures. But God could have communicated truth to us through any medium that he wants to. Like, it's been fascinating to 
watch the response even to the series The Chosen because mm. there are some people who are who are regarding that as like, oh my gosh, finally, like now finally people are going to understand the beauty of the story. And it's like, well, I mean, God hasn't been sitting on his hands for 2,500 years waiting for the medium of film to be developed so that he <laughs> yeah. can finally let us know. And I'm not dogging on the, this is not about whether The Chosen right. is worth watching or not. It's about how we can look at it and make it into more than it than it is. Like, and, and think when, the scriptures aren't sufficient, right? Well, yeah. well, yes, or even that the scriptures are not beautiful mm, and accessible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the problem is it's easier to watch The Chosen than it is to sit and, and read your Bible. Mm. Um, because reading your Bible does require some some skills. It, mm. it requires some tools. And many of us were not trained into those. And mm. so, uh, but it's a worthy pursuit. And like everything else that's involved in taking up your cross and being a disciple, it's worth the cost yeah. and it's worth the effort. Um, and so if you think about anything of value that you've ever done, um, mm-hmm. uh, like my son is, a is, is very good at playing the piano because he took lessons for years and he practiced for years. But the first time that he sat down to practice, he felt dumb. Mm-hmm. He didn't know what he was doing and he probably felt really discouraged. Yeah. Uh, and then he came back and he did it again. And he came back and he did it again. He came yeah. back and he did it again. But we don't actually think, we think that the first time we sit down to read it, it should yield up every single thing. Yeah. Um, we don't understand that it too will be a costly um, and very good discipline for us to pursue. And that we will start out feeling like we don't know what we're doing. And over time, we will grow in our proficiency until we actually not only are more capable, but we actually enjoy what's rendered up mm. in the same way that my son playing uh, Debussy now is, mm. is a thing of joy. Yeah. 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 That's good. And connects so well in terms of uh, I've played guitar for years and years and I, I remember picking it up for the first time and mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. I'll never learn to play this. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and same thing with sports growing up and so forth. It makes a ton of sense. I want to go back to something you said earlier that um, I'm curious about where you think the, the reasons for why you would think what you said, which is you said uh, it's not just that we have a, uh, a Bible literacy problem. We have a literacy problem or, you know, something to that mm-hmm. effect. W- what's behind that? Mm-hmm. Why do you think that's mm-hmm. the case? What's driving that? And uh, what do we do about it? Well, I mean, again, look at our, our two eyes that we need to gouge out in the culture at large, but certainly within the church. Um, if it's all about my personal interpretation of a book, then I don't need literacy skills. I can just read a book and go, well, how did, how did that hit me? What did I mm-hmm. think it meant? Mm-hmm. Or, or how did it, you know, how did it make me feel? Um, and then I don't want to give a lot of effort to it because if it doesn't yield up something to me immediately, then what's the value in it? Mm-hmm. Um, everything else is willing to give me something um, without any effort on my part. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you even see this with the way, um, I mean, all forms of commentary, people would rather hear the commentary than do the thinking themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it means that we accept uncritically the thinking of others. And the way that this is played out in the church, you know, it, it, for those who are listening, if you're sitting there thinking, don't make me feel like I'm terrible. You know, <laughs> I, I actually don't think it's your fault. Mm-hmm. Like if the people in the pews are dealing with the kinds of things that I'm talking about, that's not because you did something or left something undone. Mm-hmm. It's because those of us in leadership in the church left something undone. Yeah. Um, and I think that what I've seen over the last 40 years or so is that we have had developed in the church an expert amateur divide. 
Um, the expert mm. stands on the platform and tells the amateur in the seat what they are supposed to think or feel about what is in the Bible. And the amateur sits and re passively receives that teaching from the expert. Yeah. Um, and then over time, the amateur begins to think, I can't possibly do this without the expert. And the expert kind of thinks that too, because the work of teaching the amateur how they got to be an expert seems like something that is not mm. um, doable. And so the resources that I've tried to create and the resources that some of my colleagues are trying to create are an attempt to reduce the expert-amateur divide. Rather than say, let me tell you what I think about this, it's let me show you how you can begin mm. to develop your own thinking around this. It's basically pulling back the curtain and saying, this is how everyone should be um, learning and growing into maturity. Mm. Um, when you think about just in human terms, uh, a child in the home, um, a child who has to be told what to think at age 18 has a bad parent. Mm. Um, a child who has been trained to make good decisions from an internal mechanism, to think about things from an internal mechanism, that is a child who's growing toward maturity. Yeah. So when we speak of mature belief, mature belief is not being able to regurgitate more things that someone else taught you. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. And I'm thinking about um, the person who's listening, who who maybe they're, I don't know, I'm just going to throw some some ages out. Maybe they're in their mid forties mm -hmm. and they're hearing this and they're going, wow, yeah, she's kind of pegging me with all this. This is how I've tended to approach the Bible and church. Where do I start? Where do I begin to turn this ship in a direction that's more healthy? And, um, you know, I, I haven't been a student of the Bible and I have mm -hmm. kind of unknowingly been in that expert amateur kind of posture mm -hmm. as I'm the amateur waiting on the ex expert to tell me, but I want to be more of a self-feeder. I want to grow in that way. What What do you What are your thoughts there? What What encouragement do you provide on that front? So I'll give you a starting point just for a personal practice that is probably the most underutilized literacy building tool of all, and then I'll give a tip for where I would go next. Okay. Um, so first, the most underutilized tool is repetitive reading. Hmm. It's just reading the Bible, picking a book of the Bible, staying in it and reading it from start to finish and then going back and doing that again hmm. and then going back and doing that again and then going back and doing that again. And I would even urge listeners to um, not do that using a study Bible, to do that using hmm. uh, either a scripture journal or a copy of the Bible that doesn't have any study notes in it. Because our instant gratification pull is so strong that what we'll do with a study Bible is we'll hit a part that we're like, that's weird. I don't know what that means. And we pop our head down and we read the notes and we're like, oh, now I've got it. And what we all need is not to have that immediate release of the tension. What we need is to sit in the tension. I call it dwelling in the I don't know. Hmm. If you're familiar at all with learning theory, you know that when we feel the dissonance of what we don't yet know, that's when learning, real learning, sticky learning is mm. about to begin. And so the, the quicker we move to medicate that, the, the less the, the yield on, on our long-term ability to, to learn and retain. So that's why don't look at stuff on your phone. Don't go to any comp, just read it, read it over and over and over again. Read it in different translations, mm. listen to it on an app. Start to get it under your skin. You will be amazed at how when you then hear teaching over that, mm -hmm. it's going to hit you differently. The reality for most of us is we come to church on Sunday and we sit and we hear teaching over a passage. We spent little or no time in ourselves before we hear it taught. 
which means you're you're accepting things uncritically. And I'm not advocating for anybody to raise their hand during the sermon and shout, I disagree. <laughs> um, but if you never disagree with what you're hearing, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> if you never have those moments where you're like, I don't think I agree with that. And then you don't follow up to examine the why, yeah. um, then you're probably just passively receiving, which leads me to my second tip. Um, so first is read repetitively over and over again. Mm. Um, and then second would be um, that this is not meant to happen in isolation. Mm -hmm. uh, so you need to get into community to discuss what you're reading. Um, but you need to understand the difference between a passive learning environment and an active learning environment. Active learning environments um, follow the principle that Howard Hendricks articulates, which is never do for your student what your student can do for themselves. That means that rather than the teaching element being a spoon feeding, the teaching element is actually inviting the student into doing the work themselves. It means that you're learning, oh, I should look that word up in the dictionary or, oh, I think I saw this somewhere else. Maybe I should mark in my uh, Bible where I saw that word, you know, three times already in this book yeah, of the Bible yeah. um, to where when you do hear teaching, the teaching is landing on a baseline knowledge of the text instead of on just a blank slate. That's so good. Yeah. You know, just thinking just last week, I, I was, I was in the word and, and, and reading a chapter that I have read many, many times in, in my life, in my walk with the Lord. And, uh, to your point, the repetition of it. I mean, this is one of those mm -hmm. chapters that, um, I, I, I mean, as a pastor, well-trained, so forth, whatever, I, I could have been like, oh yeah, it talks about this and you know, it's this and this. And, uh, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't even know how to guess what number of time this would be of reading through that chapter. And yet mm -hmm. there was, there was because of the repeti repetition, there was something there. There was, there were things occurring to me that I'm, I was going, wow, I have not seen that before. Or if I have mm -hmm. seen it, I didn't see it in that way. And I'm, I want to sit with that. And I ended up just mm -hmm. sitting there and thinking and processing and praying. And, uh, and so to your point about repetition, it's like, man, that was, I'm just going to guess the, 40th time, who knows? I don't know that I had read that chapter and, mm -hmm. and there was, there was, there was still such richness there of, of, of gleaning from God's word and being impacted by it and observing things. Right. And, and so much of that is the power of mm -hmm. observation. What am I look? what, what are we mm -hmm. looking for? Those, those repeated words, like you mentioned are so important. Um, mm -hmm. as we, as we kind of wrap up here, I, I just, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, um, as we think about, again, the word of God, it's authority. Um, what do you see happening in the church? It's easy and, and certainly appropriate for us to say, here's, here's the things that I've noticed in the church that are really concerning. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you, what do you see that's encouraging? Where are you seeing people, uh, coming alive again to God's word, perhaps like they weren't previously and, are you seeing a movement of God's people pursuing God's word? And yeah, what are you, what are you observing on that front? Yeah, I feel hopeful. I mean, when I look at where things were 20 years ago, especially within women's um, settings, I, I feel hopeful. We're, we're far more, I think, content driven and less story driven than mm. we were. And again, there's nothing wrong with story driven elements. Um, but when that's all that you're allowed to do or all that, you know, you focus on, it's, it's always a balancing thing, right? So I think we're seeing a, a, a return of, of, um, of a thinking faith 
to to women's circles, which I, I feel pretty animated about. Yeah. I do think that we're seeing the pendulum swing back. So I think we we had a period of time in the church where we swung toward community. Community is the highest stated value of every gathering, right? Mm. And so you saw a lot of churches that moved away from a Sunday school model, um, or maybe they kept it, but it was like, you know where the sweet sauce is. It's in the, it's in our home group or community group or right. you know whatever the name is that your church gave to those groups. And, um, and so community became the highest state of value in just about any small group gathering that we had. And community is a beautiful value to have. It just can't be our only value because yeah. anyone who has been in a, in a home group or community group or life group can tell you that they are great for building relationship and they're honestly terrible for, for making a study of the Bible or doctrine. Mm. Mm. Um, they're terrible. They're just not good discipleship spaces in terms of um, Christian education. And so um, what I think that I'm beginning to see is uh, I wouldn't call it a new thing. I would call it a, an old thing recently forgotten, to borrow mm. a term from Dallas Willard. Mm. Uh, and that is that um, that we need places that are dedicated where their highest stated goal is learning. Yeah. Just yeah. learning. Yeah. Um, I think about my daughter, uh, Mary Kate, she has a chemistry degree. And when she wanted to study chemistry, she believed that there were very real consequences for learning it wrong and very real rewards for learning it right. And so when she wanted to learn chemistry, what she did not do is gather with a group of her peers and have a feelings level discussion of a paragraph out of chapter five of her chemistry textbook. <laughs> yeah. Instead, you know, she went to um, a place that was designed around learning as its primary goal. It had a small group element. It certainly had individual work that she did on her own, but she also got to sit under really good teaching that spoke to those other two elements. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're staking our lives on the Bible. Yeah. There are very real rewards and consequences mm. for how we handle it. And um, those are uh, that teaching is best done in dedicated learning environments that yeah. always will have a communal element to them. Um, but we should not have to be embarrassed to say, hey, this space, its primary goal is learning. Mm. Um, and so that that I think I'm beginning to see happen. And um, it's pretty fun. That's good. You just gave a, a wonderful endorsement for uh, if you're a listener and you're and you're a member or a tender of Perimeter Church, we have discipleship groups that. Uh, basically, what Jen just said—that's what we're aiming for. Uh, we certainly we want community to happen, and it does happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll pray together, and we'll fellowship together. But the big emphasis is learning, and and here's where that comes from biblically, right? It would be appropriate to connect it to the Word in this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, you think about, and there's so many places. This is just one example, but Romans twelve one and two: Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed how by the renewing of your mind. And so, you know, we have a thing here at Perimeter where we talk about we really want to equip and 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 grow the head, the heart, and the hands. And all three are yeah. so significant. But if you lose any of those, then you've lost a great deal of what God has designed us for and growth with him and becoming more like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. and so the head is, you know, it's not just the head. Of course, those other elements matter. But if you lose that, if you're not chasing after the knowledge of God through his word, then you're missing something so vital Mm -hmm. to the to the Christian faith and uh, and so uh, sometimes we can uh, we, this is Christian history in a nutshell uh, we we realize where we've erred and we swing the pendulum too far in the next direction right and mm -hmm. so 
uh, some of us have said, well, we need more heart or we need more hands. We need this. We need that. Well, let's chase after all three equally. And part of that is chasing hard after the word of God and saying, would mm-hmm. you, Lord, shape and transform me in my mind so that there's a transforming work that then through my heart and then out through my hands. But mm-hmm. um, let me tell you, she's probably too humble to tell you this. I'm going to tell you another great way to learn God's word and be taught and equipped in how to study it is to get one of Jen's books or studies. And um, <laughs> they are phenomenal. I mean, just even, I mentioned there's 13 of them. Is that the right number? Do you know? Is there more? Um, no, when you said that, I was like, gosh, that's, that makes me tired. Uh, I know there are four books and then yeah. there is a pile of Bible studies. A pile so. of studies. So, yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the four books, if you want to know, you are a theologian, 10 words to live by, women of the word and none like us. Tell me if I'm wrong about that. I think that's uh, right. I guess there's five if you count the you are a theologian. There's none like him and in his image, which in is two image. books That's over right. the attribute right. of God, attributes of God. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. But then you have all these awesome I mean, those books are phenomenal. And the one uh, you are a theologian you wrote with JT English, correct? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who I think is fantastic. Wrote a great book on discipleship. Um Yeah. But uh, so many studies here, you know, uh, study through Exodus, two books of one through eighteen. Uh, chapters 1 through 18 is one of the books, and the other is 19 through 40. Uh, mm-hmm. Studying on First Peter, on the Sermon on the Mount, on Hebrews, mm-hmm. on creation, which is the first 11 chapters of Genesis, uh, the God of Covenant, which is Genesis 12 through 50. Uh, just so many good resources that you've given the church. And, um, and so if you're listening and you want to say, well, are there any resources that would help me learn and grow in the in the, the appreciation and depth and the learning of the Word of God, then there you go. There's some awesome ones there. Jen, thanks so much for being with us. We so appreciate you taking time to, to jump on here with us today and to share your heart. And um, uh, yeah, thanks again for what you're, what you're doing to help um, ignite and revitalize a church for, for God's Word and for the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Enjoyed the conversation. Thanks. <laughs>